Oh, Lord, you're so gracious and kind and merciful. And I thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be here this morning to uh, sing your praises and to hear your word. And I pray you prepare our hearts that we would receive your word, that we would understand what you intended and that you would work in us that which is pleasing today. Lord, bless your words that goes out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, then you'll be able to identify with what I'm going to share with you. Uh, Surely each one of us has experienced the reality of discouragements in this life when we fail, when we sin, when we're not like Christ. Although we are being made like Christ more and more every day, we fail. We're not there yet. And it's discouraging when we fail. We don't want to fail. We don't want to do what's wrong. We don't want to sin. And yet God is gracious because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God is sanctifying us and making us like Jesus. But even after many years, being Christian for many years, we still recognize there's a whole lot of work that still needs to be done on each and every one of us that we're not there yet. And sometimes recognizing that can be discouraging. Now today I'm going to, today I believe we're going to be encouraged actually as we see and press forward towards the goal of being like Christ. And we've seen in this book of 1 Thessalonians in the end a bunch of commands on what we are to be doing with one another, with our leadership uh, in the body of Christ. But how can we do these things? How can we obey the Lord's word? Well, today we're going to see that it is a focus on Christ in total dependence as we trust him and believe what he has said, that he is faithful, that he enables us then to step out and do what he calls us to do. We've been looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians, so would you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24 today. We are very close, almost, you know, I was going back and forth praying about whether we should finish or not uh, today, but there's just too much in this message, in these two verses, for me to add in the the last portion, and I think uh, we'll be blessed by that as we look at that and finish up next time. Well, we've been looking at the changed lives of the Thessalonians Their lives were changed by Jesus Christ. They turned to God from idols. And the Apostle Paul is writing a young church that is less than a year old in the faith, and he has been orphaned from them. And within that, he has learned through Timothy and their, their spiritual condition, where they're at with Christ, and he is so joyful and so thankful for that. And after sharing his thankfulness for their salvation, uh, he delivered and defended the manner in which he came to them. And then he praised the Lord and was so thankful for their response to the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And then we saw he was so thankful for their response to Timothy, who he had sent, who he had sent to, uh, to see how they were doing in the faith. He was so thankful for that. He was so thankful for how they had responded. And then we came to chapter 4, in which the Apostle Paul shifts gears and begins to exhort these Thessalonians in their walk with Jesus Christ, how to excel in that walk with Jesus, how they needed to keep applying biblical instruction, understanding what God's will is for them, applying that truth in walking and pleasing God, being sanctified, for that is God's will. And then we saw that it was God's will for them to excel still more in in purity, that they were to abstain from sexual immorality. They were to excel still more in love of the brethren, being about their own business, providing for their own needs rather than being a burden on the body of Christ. And then they were, as we see in the end of chapter 4, to excel still more in hope because there were those who were eagerly awaiting the coming of Christ and some of their brothers and sisters in Christ had died and they were wondering, have they missed that? The Apostle Paul shares the wonderful truth that Christ will bring them first with him and they will be raised first and then we who are alive and reign will be changed in that moment. Tremendous reality that we should comfort one another with these words. And then in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul moved to a new subject in which he addresses their concerns about the day of the Lord, 
Were they going through it? They were suffering. Maybe people had been saying, hey, you're going through the day of the Lord. It's just terrible. Well, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that they weren't going through it. But it would come like a thief in the night. And it would come upon the ungodly where God would judge them. But since we are of the day, we're to walk differently. And God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. And so we need to comfort one another with these words. And then he began to share some basic commands in the end of the book. We have 22 commands. Uh, first, there are commands for how the church uh, deals with their leadership. They are to, uh, to, uh, to highly respect them, to see them in a way that is, that is over and above, to hold them in high esteem. Why? Because of their work. Uh, they work hard, they oversee, and they admonish, as we say. And within that, we should live at peace with one another so we are not a burden to them and each other. And then we saw how we are to deal with difficulties in the body of Christ. This is a young church, so it's very simple and it's very easy for us to understand that we are to admonish the unruly. Those who are out of step with their walk of Christ, they are to be warned and admonished. The term unruly meant to be out of order, out of step, to, to pull out of line, to pull away from your superiors in, in, a, in a military context to be out of step. We're to admonish or warn the wayward in the body of Christ. And we are to encourage the discouraged. It certainly is easy to get discouraged at times. We're to encourage them. Come alongside. Speak the truth. Encourage them in Christ. And we are to hold up the weak. All of this without returning evil for evil uh, because uh, we need, because we might be not treated well if we come along people in this manner. But we're not to return evil for evil, but to be patient Be patient with all men responding in a godly way. And then we saw God's will for our inner lives as believers. That we are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And it can't be said any simpler than that, right? It's God's will for us to be joyful. And that joy comes in the context of what Christ has done for us and who he is, in spite of the difficulties we're going through. We're to pray about everything. We're to bring, them before, bring it before the Lord. And we're to, in everything, give thanks. Not give thanks for every situation, but know that within those situations we can give thanks because God is working his good through that. He's working for good. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then our last time we saw how we're to respond to the word of God. How we're to respond we're not to quench the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads us. He, he teaches us through the Word of God. He convicts us of sin. He corrects us. He trains us through the Word of God. It's Spirit-inspired Word. And we're not to quench that. We're not to push down the, the Spirit's work in our lives. We're not to throw a, a blanket on the fire, in a sense. And we can do that when we're convicted of sin. We're convicted about maybe something we said to someone. We just put it aside rather than being convicted and confessing that. Whatever it might be. We're not to quench the Spirit. And we're not to in any way cause, seize, or block the work of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit doesn't drag you around. He leads you gently, graciously. God is a gracious God. We're not to quench that. And then we saw we're to cling tightly to the Word of God. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. We talked about the reality that there were prophets and apostles in the early church building on the foundation. Now we have the foundation laid. We have the completed Word of God. We're not to disregard the Word of God. We're not to set it aside. You know, some believers, hey, they hold all sorts of doctrine, this and that, and they disregard things. You know, you've got people who could be the most theologically minded people in the world. They can answer every question, and yet they're angry, or they're worried, or whatever they are. They're disregarding the Word of God. They're not putting it aside, knowing they're giving God, Satan a place. They're not, they're not uh, uh, putting their prayers before the Lord rather than worrying, whatever it might be. We're not to disregard the Word of God. Disregard the Word of God. And so we saw that we're also to examine everything carefully. We are to test everything carefully. We're to hold tightly to that which is good. And what's good? God and what he has revealed in his word about those things that are truly good of him. And we are to abstain in every way from every form, every form of evil. Not just the obvious forms of evil, but every form of evil. We're to keep far from it. That's what that word abstain means. And so at that point, we have the commands are pretty much 
pretty much done. And so we look at that and we go, man, okay, I'm, I was, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm, I'm giving thanks. I'm trusting him, but yeah, I'm certainly failing a lot too. I'm certainly not doing this all the time. Um, I'm, I'm want to be in his word. I want it to flow in my heart all the time. I want to be following him, but at times I'm forgetting. I'm, you know, thinking about other things, you know, and, and I might get sidetracked or whatever it might be. I fail. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do these things that he's called us to do? Well, we're going to see it's only as God works through the heart of a submitted believer that we're able to do these things. When we have the right understanding and mindset towards the Lord and what he is doing. You see, we can do nothing on our own. And if you've tried in the last few weeks to go out and do this, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to do this and that, it's not going to work. You can't save yourself. You can't, as we'll see, sanctify yourself. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who sanctifies us. And there may be many people, maybe you're here today, you're frustrated because you're trying to do what God wants you and you are failing, 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 failing all the time. Well, today I believe you're going to be encouraged because this is an encouraging passage. And I believe it's going to help us understand how we can actually do what God says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. The reality is we are, in some sense, and the Bible uses this illustration, we are like a building. We are being built up. But it's kind of interesting. We're not just like a building that started from zero, even though we did. We still got this old building hanging around. And so there's a lot of renovation going on, in a sense. And God is working on us to bring us to a goal. But we need to understand what that goal is. And when we focus on it and understand what it truly is, that he enables us to see things rightly in the way or on the way to that goal. So how do we do it? God says, first of all, we need to realize that the process of him making us like Jesus, sanctification, as we'll see, is his work and he will complete it in us. He will complete it. Now, we're going to see this is not an excuse to go out and sin because he's going to complete it, because that would be the wrong attitude. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Something's wrong in your heart if you think that way. This is for believers who want to follow the Lord, who want to do what's right, but as we are going, we're failing. We find that we're being sanctified in little spots here and there, and God is changing us, but there's spots that aren't changed. And so we see here, how God is going to, that, that God, that sanctification is his work, and he'll complete it. Look at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul concludes this letter with his inspired desire for these believers. Some call it a prayer, and it is in a sense. Some call it a benediction, regardless of what you call it. It is the Apostle Paul's inspired desire for this body of believers. And it is spoken in a way that we can understand because it's inspired by the Spirit of God that it is God's desire for us. God's desire for us. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Now, before we get to the passage specifically, we need to understand and review what sanctification is. We understand what it is. And basically, sanctification is the process of being made holy. And uh, we're going to see that God is going to make us holy, holy, right? I was going to title my message, holy with a W, and then holy, holy, right? (laughs) He's going to do that. He's going to do that. It is the process of God making us holy. And it is a beautiful thing. It is right and good. And our word translated sanctify here, hagiadzo, it speaks of making separate, to set apart. We saw back in chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your 
sanctification, being set apart. And then he goes on to explain that you abstain from sexual immorality, being set apart from sexual sin. That was the initial context there. Sanctification is being set apart from sin unto the Lord. It's a process. And obviously, sanctification is, as we will see and as we heard read earlier, is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're not there yet, but he is in the process of making us like Jesus. Now, we need to understand that Scripture does speak of sanctification in two different ways. We have our initial sanctification, and then we have the ongoing process which will be brought to a completion, which we'll see in our passage today. Indeed, Scripture reveals that when we believed in Jesus Christ, when you were convicted of your sin and you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you believed in Him, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, you were set apart from sin unto Him. You were sanctified. In Hebrews chapter 10, 10, he says, By this will we have been sanctified. This will, that was the Lord coming for us to do His will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. When the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthian church, he calls them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, those who have been, already done, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he will talk about the fact that all these type of sins that people are identified by, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He gives a list of them, and he says, And such some of you were. You were identified by your sin, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of God, our God. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we are set apart from our former sinfulness to a state of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, having been fully forgiven of our sins. We're set apart, we're forgiven, we're sanctified. And so we are in our position, we are fully sanctified, we are set apart. But practically speaking, we have not fully been set apart from sin yet. No one has. Anyone says that they've reached a point where they don't sin anymore, you could say, well, you just sinned. The reality is, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we're liars. But we should be becoming more and more like Christ. We should be being built up like him. (coughs) And so we see here, the sanctification is a process of being made like Jesus Christ. Indeed, I mentioned it earlier in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And he goes on to explain being set apart from the sin of sexual immorality unto God. And he said, God has not called us for the purpose of immorality, but sanctification. Sanctification. The Apostle Paul illustrates this in the middle of, the ver- in the middle of uh, chapter 6 of verse 19 of the book of Romans. He says, Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, you used to present yourself to sin, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Present yourself to those things of Christ those righteous things, those things of him. And that results in being set apart. Sanctification. Sanctification. So sanctification is one aspect of our salvation. When we believed we were justified and we were set apart, but now, (coughs) excuse me, now we've been, uh, we were justified, we've been sanctified, and we will be, we will be glorified. Okay, so we were justified, we were declared righteous, we are being sanctified, glorified. And so now, what about this current process of sanctification? Well, the Lord God is taking his word by his spirit, and he is convicting us of sin and causing us to have a different viewpoint that we would turn away from that and trust him and allow him to deliver us from that. You see, we are to not be transformed or not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans chapter 12. (coughs) And in John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in thy truth, he prays, thy word is truth. Sanctify them. Let your word set them apart. Set them apart from sin unto him. Sanctify them in truth. 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In speaking about husbands, uh, he gives the illustration of the church. The Apostle Paul. Ephesians 5.25. He says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And why did he do that? Verse 26. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the term rhema, spoken word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. He died so that we would be set apart. And he is using his word to sanctify us. That's what he's doing in this process. He is taking his word, convicting us of sin, correcting us, making us straight again, and training us in righteousness. If you're willing to listen, by the way. If you're not quenching the Holy Spirit. If you're not disregarding the word of God. But yet this is not just done in a theological uh, bubble. It's done in the context of faith. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. We need to trust the Lord, believe what he has said, and he sets us apart. When we trust in Jesus and believe his word, he sets us apart. We become more and more like Jesus Christ. So that's what sanctification is. And he's doing that every single day. And if you're a believer, there's places where he has sanctified. He's really worked on those areas. You've changed. And we certainly we fail, but we are being sanctified. But there are spots and places that aren't there yet. We're not there yet. Now, I'm not talking about rebellion. That's different. There are rebellious Christians out there, and they're getting whooped by the Lord with discipline. I'll tell you that right now, if they're really his. I'm talking about really those who are trying to follow the Lord, wanting to follow him, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And so back in our passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, notice what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Right off the bat, we see first and foremost, it is God who sanctifies. And we're going to talk about that entirely in a minute. God is the one who does it. Now may the God him peace, notice he says himself. It's emphatic in the original language. He's going to do it. He himself. Now may he himself do it. May he himself do it. He's the God of peace. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Brothers and sisters, this takes off all the pressure. I'm not saying we don't obey. I'm not saying we don't trust him. But it takes off the pressure. God is the one who sanctifies us. We don't sanctify ourselves. You didn't save yourself. You don't sanctify yourself. It's God's work. And when we realize that, and as we see, trust in him and abide in him, he does that work in us. He works in us, which will work out of us. Here's where believers stumble so much and run into great problems. In effect, we don't say this, we don't think this maybe, but in effect, we try to sanctify ourselves. We try to obey his commands apart from relying on him and trusting in him. What did Jesus say? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? Right? You got to abide in me and I in you. Talks about for apart from me, you can do nothing. Another favorite passage of mine, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five. Not that we are adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He's the one. And when you get to that state of submission, by the way, it has to do with submission, and yieldedness, his work really flourishes in your life. It's not going to be done yet but it will be done, as we'll say. The Apostle Paul made it clear that 
God's power was perfected in weakness. In weakness. You see, if we are doing it by ourselves, or we think we're doing it by ourselves, we're going to fail. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. So he says here, Now may the God of peace sanctify you himself. Sanctify you entirely. May he himself sanctify you entirely. And did you notice he was described as the God of peace? And you need to ask interpretive questions. Why is he described this way in this verse? Why is he described in this verse as the God of peace? Why would he be described that way? Well, we know that God is characterized by peace. And we know that he is, in, he is the one in which peace originates. Throughout the New Testament, we have uh, uh, numerous references to the grace and peace that comes from God alone, from God to man. We know that he brings positional peace with him because we were hostile in our sins. But having been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. There's peace. There's no enmity. There's no hostility anymore. We know that he himself is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. But just as we have positional peace in our justification, there is a present peace that comes in the context of sanctification. That's why I believe he's talking about the God of peace. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. The context of that was he was going away, but he was sending his spirit, wasn't he? Through the spirit, love, joy, peace, right? James talks about the wisdom which comes from his word. He says it's first peaceable. In James 3.18, he says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, when we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, and then we function in the context of righteousness, there's peace. Righteousness and peace go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Sin and discord and difficulty go hand in hand. In Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of God's discipline upon us, the fruit of those who have been trained by it is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see, when God enables you, when you trust in him to do the right thing, there's peace in that. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Now Paul's inspired desire here is that the goal would be brought about. Sanctify you entirely. The interest, it's an interesting word here, this word translated entirely. Holo, telos. Telios means complete or finished. Jesus said, telestai, it is finished. Telios, holo, telo means holy, complete. Holy, complete. Complete in all respects. Through and through. It speaks of quality, not quantity. Complete in all respects, all the way through. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. All the way through. And you might remember, I mentioned earlier, and we all know this, we are not sanctified all the way through yet. There are spots and places that are not, God is still working on. That You can hear the hammers and the saws, right? And it doesn't sound good at times, and it hurts. He's still working on us. But here is God's inspired desire for us. May he sanctify you completely. And we're going to see that this is a goal that God is bringing us unto, which we will experience when we see him. That's when it's going to happen. This speaks of the church being presented to Christ in all her glory, having no spot and wrinkle and no such in any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. God's will is for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Conformed to the image of Christ. We were predestined to do so, Romans 8:29. So Paul says, may God fully complete the job. May he fully complete the job. And guess what we're going to see? It's going to happen because faithful is he who called you, and he will bring it to pass. Entirely. Remember Philippians chapter 1, 
For I am confident of this very thing, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, it is so easy to be discouraged in the midst of all that goes on when we fail. Not talking about rebels, talking about those who want to follow Jesus and are failing. He's working those things out. It's going to be brought to an end. It will be complete. You will be set apart completely from sin in every manner. That day will come. That day will come. You'll be set apart. It's hard to imagine it, isn't it? It's hard to imagine it. But we have a taste of it as the Lord changes us, don't we? We have a taste in the areas that he's changing in us. And we can see his work. We can see that good work that he's doing in us. We have a taste of it. Folks, by his great power, this is what's going to happen. We're going to be complete when we're glorified. We're going to be made like Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has even to subject all things to himself. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. This is what Paul's talking about, what we shall be, by the way. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's speaking of holiness, fully sanctified, because we shall see him just as he is. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. By God's great power, we will be made like Christ. We will be sanctified entirely through and through. It's going to happen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. We're not there. We're not there. But God is working on us. God is working on us. We are holy in bits and pieces, but when we are finished, we will be holy through and through. Don't get discouraged. Be encouraged. God will complete the job. But within that, remember, for our current sanctification, it is God who does the work. You can't sanctify yourself. But God, through his word, by his spirit, changes our hearts and enables us then to trust him and obey him. Now notice, not only are we going to be sanctified entirely, but we're going to be kept blameless when Jesus comes, preserved blameless. This is quite an interesting statement. Verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, excuse me, sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have the second part. And may your spirit, soul, body be preserved complete without blame, and notice the timing, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is interesting because Paul uses the phrases spirit, soul, and body. And at this point, we don't have time to get into a theological debate, the dichotomy, trichotomy debate concerning man. Is man two parts or three parts? It's actually a difficult question to answer, by the way. And the reason is throughout Scripture, we see man described in two parts. And usually we see it body and soul or body and spirit. They're usually used interchangeably. So we see that throughout. But yet in our passage here and... In Hebrews chapter 4.12, we have a statement here, like in Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as, which means it's really far, of the division of soul and spirit. So it seems that there is a division between soul and spirit. They're very similar, but as you go down really far, there is a division. So how does that work? I don't understand it. So what is Paul trying to say here? I think he's pointing to the fact that our complete being is going to be preserved blameless. The immaterial, body and soul, and the material too, body. Very interesting because we know if we die, our body goes in the grave, corrupted by sin, decaying in the ground, and we go to be with the Lord. But then when he comes back, he brings us with him and he raises us and we're glorified. 
That's the time when he comes back that we are changed. When the Lord comes. And that's what he says at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord comes. So I believe he's speaking of everything, every part of us. And I think that's actually reinforced by what he says. And I like the actual New King James uh, Version here better. The way they translate it says, Now may your whole spirit, so the word complete really, really translates spirit, soul, and body. May your whole spirit, may, and the word here is holocleron. The whole means like the whole, the complete portion. Cleron means parts. May all your parts, the whole thing, the whole thing, be preserved, literally preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, you will be blameless in every single part, in every single part. It's quite an amazing thought. The preservation of keeping us blameless. The term blameless uh, is a legal term. It speaks of uh, no valid accusation. And in Christ right now, we are blameless in a sense because of the forgiveness of sins. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In position, we are blameless. But I'll tell you, I'm not blameless when I sin. In that moment, I can be blamed for it accurately, right? Yes, it's forgiven. But I'm not clean from sin. I'm still sinning. Right? I mean, if I yell at my wife or say something, I'm not blameless in that moment, practically speaking. Yes, in position, I'm blameless. But I'm not. But when Christ comes... My whole being, body, soul, and spirit, will be kept blameless. Blameless, that means there's no valid access, which means there's no sin. There's no sin. Tremendous reality. And the more I get older in Christ, the more I realize what a sinner I am. And how much I look forward to that day when he makes me, like his son Jesus, completely. You see, right now, my spirit and my soul, they've been saved. My soul's been saved. I've been redeemed. My body hasn't yet. As Paul would say, whom will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that will happen when Christ comes. And so I mentioned it earlier. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Christ is going to come for his church. Those who are alive and remain, we see 1 Thessalonians 4, will be changed and caught up in the air. And reunited with all their loved ones. Those who come with Christ, the souls will be united with their bodies and changed immediately, resurrected. And so we have this tremendous reality. Sanctification is God's work, and He's going to do it. It's going to be complete. Someday it's going to be completely done. Completely done. And you got to ask the question why is Paul telling us this in the end of the book? Why is he telling us this after giving us 22 commands? Because we need to understand God is going to complete the work. Because as we go out to obey God, we realize how sinful and how short we fall. We realize that. And we need to keep our eyes on the goal of what God has promised. Pressing forward towards the goal, the upward call of Christ. Pressing forward to what God has called us to. Not, fun- not, not functioning in the context of looking at ourselves and our failures or whatever it might be. But confessing, being right with him, being made more like Christ. Because God's going to do this. Notice verse 24. It's a done deal because God, because of God's character. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. What an encouraged statement, encouraging statement. Our sanctification is not dependent upon us, but upon a faithful God. Faithful is he who calls you. You see, God called us into relationship with him. He called us into fellowship with his son Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1.9. We were called out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2. He did it through the gospel. We were called, as I read it earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, that we were called... Uh, by the gospel. And actually, that's a good verse. Read that verse again. Second Thessalonians chapter 2.13. But we should always give thanks for, to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, 
And it was for this he called you through the gospel. That what? You may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is talking about. We're going to be glorified without sin. And I tell you, it's discouraging at times. But God has us on track. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We are on our way. Because faithful is he who calls you. He's faithful. He's faithful. You see, we've been called with a heavenly calling. He's called us with a holy calling. He has called us unto himself. Literally, faithful, the one calling you. Faithful, it's emphatic. Faithful. You can just scream it and then say the one calling you. Faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful in finishing the job, and he's faithful in the job he's doing right now. He's faithful. It doesn't rest on you. It rests on him. And we are not faithful until we abide in the faithful God. It's his faithfulness manifest in us. Faithful is the one calling you. Moses declared his faithfulness in Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore the Lord your God. He is God, the faithful God. He's the faithful God. David speaks of his immeasurable faithfulness in Psalm 36, verse 5. The loving kindness, O Lord, thy loving kindness extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. Jeremiah shares about God's faithfulness, even in the midst of his severe discipline upon Israel. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, Lamentations 3.22, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto a faithful God. Onto a faithful God. He's faithful. The Apostle Paul says God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 10.13, to deliver us from temptation. He's faithful. God is faithful. He'll share later on to the Thessalonians in the second letter in chapter 3 that he is faithful to strengthen and protect us. He is faithful. He says, 1 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We know that he is faithful even when we are faithless. 2 Timothy 2.11 Even when we fail, he's still faithful. When we're faithless, he's faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's his character. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 10 Let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Verse 22 Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. His faithfulness is manifest in him keeping his word. Someone who is faithful keeps their word. Someone who is faithful does what they say. He's faithful. Faithful is the one calling you. He's faithful. It's going to happen. If he promised it, it's going to happen. That's why you can trust him in everything he says. And our problem usually is we don't trust him. We don't believe what he has said from the heart. We may believe it in the- theologically, but we don't believe it from the heart. We don't trust in him. And notice what he says. Faithful is he who calls you. So get your eyes off yourself and your eyes on him because he's faithful. And he will bring it to pass. Our sanctification rests on God's faithfulness, not ours. And I'm not saying we're not to be faithful, but our faithfulness comes when his faithfulness is manifest in us, when we trust him. It doesn't rely on you, it relies on a faithful God. God will do it. He's going to sanctify you completely. You and every part will be blameless before him when Jesus comes. And again, I think we're willing to admit we can't glorify ourselves, right? We can't cause ourselves to be sanctified fully. Why do we think we can cause ourselves to be sanctified right now? It's all God. It's all God. Paul's desire is based on God's complete faithfulness. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. That is his desire for us that this will happen. Faithful is he who calls you. 
and he also will bring it to pass. Tremendous passage. God is the one doing all the work. So that brings up the question, if God is doing all the work, what am I to do? If God does it all and I I don't do it, what do I do? If this process is assured, if I've come to faith, that this is going to happen, the completion is going to happen, why then does it matter what I do right now? Why does it matter? Why do I need to cooperate right now? Well, first of all, as we've seen earlier in 1 Thessalonians, it is his will for us to be sanctified right now. That's his will. And if you've been changed, you're going to want to do his will. You're going to want to do what he wants you to do. There's not going to be resistance. You're not going to say, you know, since he's going to do it and complete it, I don't need to do it now. I'm just going to go out and send it up because he'll get it done. Well, maybe that realize, maybe that reveals that you don't know the Lord because you have a heart of a non-believer in that statement. May you never think that way. You see, God is gracious and he's kind. And he is using this process of sanctifying us to build us up right now to a goal of sanctifying us completely. And our hearts should be changed. It should motivate us to desire to cooperate in that. As I mentioned earlier in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's what we just read about. He's going to do it completely through and through because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our future glory motivates us to be more like Christ right now. Like Christ right now. And there's one other thing, reason why we should want to do it. What happens to us now affects our eternity. Yes, we will be completely sanctified, but what we do now does affect our eternity. Second Corinthians chapter 5 makes it clear that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may be recompensed for the deeds in the body, whether good or evil. It's not sins taken care of, but what we do now in Christ matters. What we do. When we abide in him and trust in him, there's reward. When we don't, there's loss. First Corinthians chapter 3. It does matter what you do right now. It does matter. But the amazing thing is if you just give up completely and let Christ work through you, then you're gonna, he's going to use you greatly. You're going to be rewarded, and he'll complete the job. And by the way, there's peace in the midst of that rather than trouble and difficulty. So what are we to do knowing that he's faithful and will do it, to it through us? We need to yield to him. Yield, just give up. Yield to his will. Yield, first of all, by renewing your mind, allowing his word to work in your heart, to change your heart. He's working on us. He'll complete it. Romans chapter 12. He's using every circumstance and every situation to make us more like his son. That's what he's doing. Secondly, we need to yield by relying on him rather than self. You see, that's one of our problems as we rely on ourselves. Trust Christ to do it completely. Turn to Jeremiah chapter uh, 17, one of our last passages here. Jeremiah 17. I'm just going to read verse 5 and then I'll read verse 7. Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Whose, whose heart turns away from the Lord. You're cursed if you trust in man. And then go down to verse 7, and he shows the consequences. On verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. Trust in Jesus. Rely on him in everything you do at your job. You trust him, Lord God, help me to be the best employee I can, to do my work unto you heartily. Lord God, help me to be a godly husband. Help me to do the right thing. Help me to respond rightly when I'm sinned against. Help me to respond rightly when I sin. Lord God, help me. I need your help, and I trust you. I trust you to work through me. I trust you to change me. And I'm so thankful you're going to complete the job. Yield to God. Yield. Give up. Some of you are not yielding at all. Give up completely to Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. 
trying to fix problems and relationships, give up to Christ completely, which means you've got to give up your will and your way. And after you renewed your mind, step out in obedience and trust the Lord by faith and do what he says, by his strength. And lastly, we're not glorified. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. Confess sin right away. When you blow it, we blow it. Confess it. Acknowledge it. Confession, homologia, means to speak the same thing. Now, sometimes I could go, Lord, I did this, this, and this. And I'm not saying the same thing God says about it, because I have a different view. I don't think it's as bad as what he thinks. No, say the same thing. My anger is very evil, Lord God. My attitude towards my spouse is evil. Lord, I confess that. Forgive me. My attitude towards these people who are being evil is wrong. I want to return evil for evil, Lord. That's wrong. Confess it. Be forgiven. And remember, although he is making you holy in different spots, bits and pieces, you're getting more and more and more. We're not there yet. But he will complete the job. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. That term, he will bring it to pass, I didn't mention this, but it is literally, he who, all, literally, who also will do it. Who also will do it. He's going to do it. So is Christ working in your life? Is he doing it? The only thing that's stopping that is you. Let him do it. Because he is going to complete the work. Just be a willing participant. And you'll praise him all the more when he completes the job. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You are faithful. And you will do it. And Lord, I just pray that we would understand that in all regards to, regarding all your promises every single promise you have made you're faithful everything you've said in your word you will do lord help us be those who walk by faith and trust you in every way you're totally faithful lord i thank you that you will complete the job and that you will sanctify us entirely every part and we will be kept completely blameless in your presence, Lord, it's hard to imagine, but we thank you that you will finish the job. Lord, help us to willingly yield and cooperate with what you are doing right now so that you would be even more magnified in that day when we see your son Jesus. Thank you so much that although it's difficult at times, you are doing good and you will do it complete it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.